We started a, a new series last week um, around the power, the promise of hospitality, and particularly around this idea that in the gift of hospitality that we offer to one another and to others around us, then it's a place, a context where we offer a grace, where we share grace with one another. But we talked last week about the necessity of beginning by just being sort of reminded that firstly, you need to receive grace. When we do this series, eventually we will have to talk about, and it'll come up in different ways, uh, about the reality of uh, receiving slightly awkward guests or perhaps even embarrassing guests. The people who say the wrong things or act strangely, and actually I suppose the challenge will be, will hospitality be offered to them if that's the case? Well, today what I want to do is just think through the lens of a particular story about Jesus, who actually proved himself to be an, an embarrassing guest because he didn't do what everybody expected. But in seeing Jesus as the embarrassing guest, then actually, for some of us at least, it might be a bit of a challenge. I suspect that here on the call this morning, um, wherever you're watching from, there'll be some of you and, and who just don't really do enthusiasm. Um, you know, it's sort of like the, for some of you, it'll be like the height of enthusiasm is when you go, yeah, it's all right. That, yeah, yeah, thanks. That's kind of like that feels like really enthusiastic. And uh, because of God's uh, brilliant sense of humor, sometimes you end up being uh, married to someone who really does enthusiasm. And for the rest of your lives together, you frustrate one another because one of you is bursting over like Tigger with enthusiasm. And the other of you, well, you're a little bit more like that it's kind of like you're sitting there going yeah i think i mean that may well be you in your most enthusiastic moment i don't know it's an unfortunate picture isn't it i mean it's not bernie saunders fault that he had to sit in the freezing cold and uh, that people suddenly found it uh, funny but it was a brilliant picture because for some of us it's like yeah that's how i feel that's me being enthusiastic. And of course, this little picture became a meme that did uh, went viral, including uh, through our own friend, Phil Mailer, who uh, managed to do this with a shot. And if you're wondering where Bernie is, there he's right on the right hand side. So he kept popping up in all sorts of different places. But what if that is you? What if? Deep down, that is pretty much what you like. It's not only that you don't do enthusiasm very well, it's kind of like your, your default mode is always, come on then, impress me. Or even when other people act enthusiastically, you're the one sort of like frowning, going, don't act so enthusiastically, it's embarrassing. What happens then? Well, Jesus comes along. Before the passage we're going to read today, um, earlier in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, um, Jesus uh, comes along and says, Jesus went on to say, I'm, I'll read it, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? And he says, well, actually, they're like children sitting in the marketplace and they're calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. I think actually it was almost like a, a child's rhyme. And Jesus says, this, this generation, they're like that. Uh, we played the pipe for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you, you did not cry. In other words, you didn't do what we expected. And he goes on, for John the Baptist came, 
neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Jesus is kind of saying, you can't win, can you? John the Baptist comes and he's the sort of the ascetic who who really, you know, lives this very severe lifestyle. And you go, he's got a demon. And here I come and I'm eating and drinking. And you say, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard. This man's always eating and he drinks too much. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What an accolade. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, when people said that, they were trying to do Jesus down. They were trying to uh, say to other people, you can't trust this guy. He's a friend of tax collectors. He's a friend of the Quislings. He's a friend of the traitors. He's a friend of those who are treasonous. He's a friend of those who just take money off you. He's a friend of those who scam. He's a friend of those who try and wring out the last penny of everybody. He's the friend of people who are only thinking of themselves. He's the friend of tax collectors. And he's the friend of sinners. Now, in those days, sinners were really, there was sort of like sinners was a, a, a big umbrella term for a whole stack of people. People who didn't go to the temple, people who didn't make proper sacrifice, people who saw themselves as outside the system, people who had been involved in sexual sin, people who were involved in financial uh, sin, people who weren't the people of God. And they said, Jesus, that's that's who Jesus is. So you don't don't trust him. He's a glutton and a drunkard and he's a friend of all the people that your mother told you never to play with. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. It's how the story begins. But this is what someone said about Jesus, and perhaps using sort of our language rather than just biblical language. He's the friend of riffraff, the traitors, the unrespectable, the drunks, the druggies, the prostitutes, the mentally ill, the broken and the needy, people whose lives are a mess. And they loved him and they still do. And it's easy to be this guy. It's easy to be this guy that sort of raises their eyebrow at all these people and go, well, some of this you've brought on yourself. Some of this, this is because of your decisions. Some of this is because of choices you made. Really, this is not good enough. And so we begin the story of an embarrassing meal, an embarrassing meal that Jesus was the guest of. I'm going to ask Judith to read it for us this morning. And Judith, if you've unmuted yourself and you're ready to go, then that's great. Thanks. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, 
kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to, began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thanks, Judith. So here, Jesus is the invited guest. I wonder whether the host, this guy called Simon, whether he'd heard Jesus preach about the hope of Israel. Simon, the Pharisee. A Pharisee was, as you know, one of the groups within Israel of the time. What happened was because Israel as a country and as the people of God, therefore, were, were not in, in, in the greatest of places, really. They felt keenly that life was not the way God would have intended for them. They felt really sure that God had better plans for his own people. They were oppressed and, 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 and sort of overseen by the Romans. They weren't in charge of their own future. And what they all wanted was God to come. They wanted God to sort out the mess. And so the Pharisee, Simon, invited Jesus. And it's a fair sort of guess that, that he'd, he'd heard Jesus preach about the hope of Israel, about a Messiah about the fact that God hadn't given up on his people, that God was still wanting to work out his purpose for Israel. And so the Pharisee, Simon, would want to talk to Jesus. But it's kind of like, it was almost a little bit less like inviting someone into your home and really being hospitable. It's much more like Simon wanting to interrogate Jesus. It's kind of like an awkward invitation. It's kind of, I want you to come to my house. 
as my guest and I will put on a banquet for you, but it's not that I'm coming in order to receive from you. I'm kind of wanting to interrogate you. I'm wanting to make sure that you're, that you're okay, that you're right. And in fact, I might want to put you, I might want to put you right if I think you're wrong. So Simon, the host invites Jesus, but at the same time, there is an uninvited guest, this woman who actually is nameless. I wonder how she'd heard Jesus. Well, Simon, the Pharisee would never have invited this woman because this woman was classed as sinner. And it's quite possible, probable even, that in everybody else's eyes, the sin would have involved sexual sin, a life lived that had broken all the boundaries that everybody else would have said were sacrosanct. Who knows why? I mean, you only need to look around you to know when people get themselves into these situations, there's always backstories. But this woman, with her story, with her backstory, with her own reasons, but with her own life, comes as the uninvited guest. Why did she come then? Well, I wonder whether she's also heard Jesus preach. This is all just guesswork, but I think it's probably accurate guesswork. Maybe she's also heard of Jesus speak, but what she's picked up on is the offer of forgiveness, the offer of belonging to a new people, the offer that comes to tax collectors and sinners. You see, it's not hard to imagine, is it? The woman would go, well, if Jesus is a friend of tax collectors, he'll be a friend of mine as well. And so she comes and she's heard Jesus say, God's inviting you out of exile into a place where your sins have been forgiven. And for a woman like her, it must have sounded so, so attractive. It's like this is the news she's been waiting for all her life because if she's been forgiven, she can come back into society because if she's been forgiven, then God's not against her because if she's been forgiven, then God's going to work out his purpose for her life because if God's forgiven her, then he's not angry. God's on her side. No wonder the woman comes uninvited. Jesus is the guest who always comes to with grace to two people, to a woman with a past who's uninvited. And to Simon, the host, he is still, Jesus is still the one who comes with grace. Why would, I mean, it's kind of like, I've often wondered um, two things really. One is why Pharisees kept on inviting Jesus because every time they invited Jesus, it seemed to be embarrassing for them because either he would say things about them or he would do things that would outrage them. It was kind of like the situation, you know, where you invite someone to your house and then all sorts of things happen that are just unseemly and people will talk about it for days to come. So one of my questions is, why did Pharisees keep on inviting Jesus? And secondly, why did Jesus keep going? Well, the reason Jesus would keep on turning up to people who he knew were trying to kill him at times or certainly plotting to get rid of him was because Jesus comes with grace to those who really know they need it and to those who don't to people like Simon, the host. So Simon puts on a banquet. 
And this is a, a freeze from that sort of uh, era. Um, what would happen is, I don't know if you can see it so clearly, but uh, it says it in the text, they were reclining at table. So they sort of rest on one arm, the, the cup in their hand, and uh, they would eat with their other hand and their feet would be tucked behind them. And then the servants would be behind them, but there would be, it was servants, but also <laughs> strangely, perhaps to our mind, uh, villagers, people from the village could just walk by and see what was going on. They'd never get invited to the table, of course, but they could just sort of see what's going on. And so the servants would be behind the guests. So it's not hard to imagine how a woman could come behind Jesus and unbeknown to Jesus to begin with, would start weeping and would start washing his feet. The woman's acting awkwardly. So Jesus, if you imagine now that you are, imagine that this, this character here on this, uh, this sculpture is Jesus. You're sitting opposite Jesus and you're looking at him and you can see the woman behind him. Imagine that you therefore are sitting in the seat of Simon. And you can see this woman behind Jesus and you can see how she's dressed. You can see, for example, presumably, that her hair is down. Now, for us, that may not be a big deal, but for them at that time, the only people who saw a woman with their hair down were either husbands or clients. And here comes a woman with her hair loosed. And you were only in a small town. You would know this woman. It's not like she's anonymous. Everybody knows who she is. And you watch and you look at Jesus and you say, Jesus, if you were a prophet, if you were who you say you were, if you were in touch with God, if you knew God, then you would know her and you wouldn't let this happen to her, to you. You would know what kind of woman this is. It's almost like Simon the Pharisee looking at Jesus, sitting in your seat, looking at him, going, you have no idea what's going on here, do you, Jesus? You don't know how embarrassing this is. You don't know what sort of woman is touching you. And so it's interesting that when Jesus speaks in this story, the first thing he says to Simon, to you, <laughs> to me, as we're looking at this, is look at her. Look at her. Take notice of her. It's almost like Simon hasn't really looked at the woman at all. What he's done is he's, he's just looked at the reputation. He's just looked at the actions. But, but Jesus says to Simon, look at her, see beyond her reputation. And then he outlines what she's done. He said, when I came, you gave me no water. You didn't wash my feet. It was like the, 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 the thing that was uh, really basic. I think. If you want to know how this would have felt, by the way, it's like if you get invited to someone's house and um, they don't get up from their seat, but they just yell at you. The door's open. Now, if you know them really well or their family, that's a welcome sound. You don't need to knock. But actually, if it was someone that you don't know and you just shouted doors open, you'd go in. But you think this is odd. Why didn't why didn't they come and 
welcome me? Why didn't they come and open the door? Do you know what I mean? You might, you might think it was a bit odd. And if they came and they didn't say, do you want to take your coat off? You might think that was a bit odd. And if they came and they didn't say, do you want to sit down? You might think that was a bit odd. And if they, you came in and they didn't say, do you want a drink or do you want anything? You'd think this really is odd. So imagine you were standing in someone's front dining room, front room, in your coat, in your shoes, and they've not moved. You'd feel, this feels awkward. I don't know if I've really been welcomed here at all. Well, that's what's going on with here. In those days, you would wash, you'd offer water for the guest's feet to be washed. And Jesus says, Simon, you didn't give me any water, but she cried and her tears wet my feet. And then she wiped them dry with her hair. You didn't give me anything basic, but she did that. You didn't greet me at all, but she kissed me and Jesus says, and she's not stopped. And you didn't even use oil. Olive oil was like the basic. You didn't use oil to anoint and, you know, you didn't use it to greet me at all. It would have been used on their forehead or on their hands just to sort of freshen up really. But she brought perfume and the smell you smell is a woman who wants to give her thanks to me. Look at her, Simon. And then he told them that little parable. And essentially it's just a little parable that says, if you owed more than you could ever repay and someone redeemed you, someone said you're set free, you don't need to pay the debt. How much would you love them? How well would you speak of them? How over the top would you be? Even if they were a stranger, you'd want to hug them. <laughs> but you, Simon, you haven't. And in this situation, the radical grace of Jesus disrupts the social situation. The radical grace of Jesus disrupts the social situation. And so he comes to us. That same Jesus, full of grace, still the friend of tax collectors, still the friend of sinners, still the friend of them. And I was thinking about, well, how, how can we make sense of this for ourselves? I mean, it's a brilliant sort of insight in to a moment in Jesus's life and ministry is it's beautiful and it's not hard to imagine yourself and I don't know what you're imagining this morning where you see yourself whether you see yourself in the in the role of a woman or whether you see yourself in the role of Simon but think about it like this and I wonder whether this will help think about those people who are over to your mind over enthusiastic in their worship over enthusiastic in form of spirituality and I want to say to you that you know you are. There's never anything to apologize for being what other people might call over spiritual. There's never anything to apologize for. Lorna said it at the beginning of the service. She said, some of you, 
you just love to dance. Well, I looked through the gallery and none of you were dancing. But I know that some of you actually do. Some of you love that form of expression. And actually, when you're on your own, some of you, I know because you've told me, you do, you dance, you move, you, your arms will stretch out. You'll sing along to your heart's content, but you'd never do it in front of other people because you'd fear what they would say of you. And I want to say, Jesus would want to say, there's nothing to be ashamed about. For you that are over-exuberant in worship, you can't be over-exuberant in worship. You can just be exuberant. And Jesus says, I understand and I receive it. And to me, who might not be that enthusiastic outwardly, it's easy to look at them and go, Oh, they're just over the top, aren't they? Can't they calm it down a bit? And I might miss the grace that's offered me. What about if you're the them who has a past? And some of your past is secret and some of your past is well known. And you always feel you're not quite good enough because of the past. Even if people don't know about it, you know about it. And it always feels a little bit like... I don't know if I shape up here. Jesus receives you through grace and says, never worry about your past because actually your past has been forgiven because it may well be the case that you're owed a lot, but you've been forgiven a lot. You see, depending on where you sit, whether you think you're them or whether you think you're me, grace is offered to both of them. To the uninvited guest, the woman, grace was offered. To Simon, the host, grace was offered. But only one received it. And the danger of going off into hospitality headlong is it's easy to become judgmental about others if you've not received the grace yourself. And so this meal becomes the story of grace offered and received and grace offered and rejected. But let's finish the story. How does it finish? Well, Jesus says to the woman, go in peace. Your sins have been forgiven. Go in peace. And you want to go, well, where does she go? Where does a woman like that go in a small town when everybody knows her? Where does a woman like that end up? Well, maybe, just maybe, the way chapter 8 begins tells us. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. I just wonder whether this unnamed woman becomes one of the many others. Whether actually there's this little group of women who follow the 12 guys and Jesus around. And they're women who've all got a past. They've all got a story. Some of them have been cured of evil spirits. Some of them were so torn apart 
by evil spirits, that their whole personalities were fragmenting and Jesus healed them and brought them back together again. And they found themselves able to function again and able to manage and able to cope and able to live and not be torn apart. And these women followed Jesus. Other women had been ill, perhaps some of them for a long time. You've got lots of stories about women in the Gospels who've been ill and Jesus heals them. And they know that now they can take a full part in society again. They're no longer classed as the ill woman, but now they're healed. And these women, the women, some of them who were named and some of them who weren't, some of them who were outcasts and some of them who were actually really socially the insiders. Joanna, the, the, the wife of the manager of Herod's household. <laughs> She's a servant, okay, she's a servant, but she's in the palace. But these women, I wonder how it must have felt to be chooser. Where's your wife? Oh, she's following Jesus again. But these women were helping to support the 12 men out of their own means. How do 12 men plus Jesus live? There's a whole bunch of women who've all got a past, who've all received grace, who are all willing to share what they've got. And maybe this woman joins this team. It's a story of a woman who is offered grace and she joins a group of women who all have a story. Today, we would call it a church. All who've received grace. The only thing that stops you being part of this team is if you refuse the offer of grace, if you refuse to receive it. But if you do, then you have something to share and you have to something to offer from this embarrassing guest who comes amongst us.